today on It's Time. And I believe that without really knowing God, we will never discover who we are. Welcome to It's Time, the daily Bible teaching program of Mike Kessler, pastor of the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. Today, we're going verse by verse through the New Testament book of Acts. So, follow along as we join Pastor Mike. Well, the next scene we find Jesus talking about this conversation that goes on down in Sheol. Now, Sheol, we don't uh, use that word much because we have a very limited English language. And so using the modern word, we would use the word hell. But that's not fair to Sheol because Sheol in the Hebrew, in that definition, was divided into two compartments, a place of paradise and a place of torment waiting the great white throne judgment. The place of paradise was called Abraham's bosom. And this is where everybody up to the death of Christ went who died in faith. So King David, that's where he went. That's where um, Elisha went when he died. Elijah was taken up in a whirlwind like a fire chair. Elisha died and he went to this place. All those people that we don't find mentioned in the scripture by name, but were in faith, those that went to to Sabbath, and those that studied and loved God, those went to this place called Abraham's bosom, waiting for the great atonement of Christ, the Paschal Lamb, to take away the sins of the world. Because up to that time, the blood of bulls and goats could only cover the sin. It couldn't remove it. It'd be like having something like this right here, and the blood and bulls of goats, you threw a sheet over it. It would cover it. But the blood of Christ removed it. It'd be like somebody coming in and picking up and taking it off the stage. That's the difference. So until Jesus died, the sin was there, but it was covered. But sin cannot be in God's presence, and so they had to go to a place waiting. Then the Bible says when Jesus died, he was when he went, the Bible says, down in the earth, and he proclaimed liberty to the captives. That's what he did when he died. Now, contrary to a bunch of teaching that comes out of Oklahoma and the Tulsa area, Jesus did not go down to hell and suffer. That is absolutely false doctrine. It's not found anywhere in the scripture. And it's come up by somebody that doesn't even know the scripture at all to come up with such things and say in those things. The Bible says he preached to those in captivity. And he led captivity captive. In other words, he rounded them all up, said, okay, it's been painful to last die, as Jesus, when he died on the cross, said. He rounded them all up and said, we're going to heaven. Cleaned it out. That side of Sheol is closed down. We remember, though, there was conversation that went on in that time. Rich man, tell Lazarus to get over here and dip his finger in the water and cool my tongue. I'm tormented in the flame. Here's this guy. He's dead. He's in hell, and he's still ordering people around. Yeah. What does that tell you? It tells you death kind of seals you in the condition you're in. And Abraham, the voice of reason, says, uh, you're in hell, buddy. This is a Mike paraphrase. Check it out. He says, there's a great chasm between you and me. 
we cannot come over there. You cannot come over here. Well, then tell Lazarus to go back and tell my five brothers not to come to this terrible place. And Abraham said, they won't believe even if somebody comes back from the dead. Jesus came back from the dead. People still don't believe. What does that tell you? Tells you that people are pretty hard-hearted. And so understanding that, the people are resurrected to the good and to the bad. We find it all the way through Scripture. David said it like this when his son died after the relationship that he had with Bathsheba and his son died. He said, I know that he will not come back to me, but I know that I will go to him. So anybody that would speak and say that there is no reference of life after death in the Old Testament, and I have heard that said, simply does not read the Bible. And it's not just found in one spot, it's found all the way through the scripture of the resurrection of the dead. Some for eternal life, the Bible says others to eternal damnation. Everybody lives forever, exists forever somewhere. The Bible says those that are resurrected to eternal life, that's what it's called, eternal life. The Bible says those that are resurrected in their sins, because their sins remain, everlasting condemnation. So, understanding that, he mentions this. And he says, this is one thing both they and I agree on. There is a resurrection for the good and the bad. Verse 16, this being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense towards God and man. Now, what is he saying? Understanding that knowing that someday we're all going to give an account of our life. Knowing that someday we're all going to give an account of our life. No, your tape deck is not broken. Knowing that someday we're all going to give an account of our lives, what manner of people should we be? If you know that someday you're going to stand before God, both the evil and the good are going to stand before God, we want to stand before God with a clear conscience. Now, your conscience will drive you crazy. I think that's why a lot of people drink. Because they try to drown their conscience. Because their conscience is telling them one thing, And their lifestyle is saying something else. And so therefore, we need to gibberish it up a a bit, or dumb it down a bit, or numb it, so that the two which have to be reconciled inside every one of us will be at peace. You see, if your conscience does not line up with your lifestyle... You have to do something to reconcile that difference. You have to. You have to either pour religion into it. I'm I'm not speaking about Jesus Christ. I'm talking about religion. Oh, and it can cloak itself in the Word of God. Uh, uh, you, you see all this stuff go on. Uh, look at the churches today that are ordaining homosexual uh, in, their, in their priesthoods and things. My question is, haven't you read... Sodom and Gomorrah in the book of Genesis. Haven't you read Romans chapter 1? After Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, the church is well established. Romans chapter 1 very clearly tells us about what that lifestyle leads to. Now, the greater distance, I believe, between our conscience and our lifestyle is the greater degree of unsatisfaction we have in life. Now, Sunday we talked about another aspect The greater distance between who you think you are and who you really are is the greater degree of insanity that you live or or, um, schizophrenia. 
If you think you're really something, but you're really nothing, that's going to create an issue. If your conscience is saying one thing and your lifestyle is saying something else, that's another thing in us that has to be resolved. I'm so glad that God knows you and me. The Bible says, know thyself. (laughs) Try that one at home. How do you know? How do you know who you are except God tell you? Who, your friends? (laughs) You're so good looking. Today, I was watching TV the other day and I saw some actors of, of late that have just recently died of different things. And I remember, I, I was sitting there looking at them. And, and you know, all the girls are all, all, all and, and I'm sitting there looking at them, I go, you know what? I'm better looking than that guy because I'm alive. So are you. And we think sometimes that we don't get our, we don't get our, 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 our being right. And the Bible says we were created in the image of God and we're very complex beings. And I believe that without really really knowing God, we will never discover who we are. And I believe this is why Paul is directing this governor, Felix, concerning these things, talking about a clear conscience. Now, Felix was a rascal. Felix, this guy was an immoral guy. This guy would take bribes. Uh, In fact, as we get down to the end of the chapter, you're going to see here that he kept Paul around expecting to get a bribe. The guy was totally corrupt. Paul, his whole message was about conscience. And someday, yes, Felix, you're sitting there in the judgment seat, but someday you're going to be on trial. What a change. So he says, this being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense towards God and men. By the way, friends, that's important. To have a conscience both with God and with your fellow man. A lot of people will violate one and have the other. Some people will have the other and violate the other. But uh, it's, it requires both. Verse 17. Now, after many years, I came to bring alms and offering to my nation. This is when Paul was wanting to go back to Jerusalem. And making all haste to do so. And by the way, as we all remember, as we studied, being warned everywhere, don't go. Because when you go there, you're going to be put in chains. Well, anyway. So I came to bring alms and offerings to my nation. In the midst of which some Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple, neither with multitude or with tumult. They ought to have been here before you to object if they had anything against me. Or else let those who are here themselves say, if they found any wrongdoing in me while I stood before the council. Unless it is for this one statement, which which I cried out, standing among them, concerning the resurrection of the dead, I am being judged by you this day. That started uh, kind of a, a big riot within the hearing that Paul had with Um, the commander in the temple there and Paul seeing that there half were Jews and half half were Sadducees and half were Pharisees. He said, this is the only thing I'm guilty of is I asked this question. And that he did. But when Felix heard these things, having more accurately accurate knowledge of the way, he adjourned the proceedings and said, 
when Lysias, the commander, comes down, I will make a decision on your case. So he commanded the centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty and told him not to forbid any of his friends to provide for or visit him. And by the way, that was common when a person was in prison in those days, that your friends brought you food. If you didn't, you probably pretty much starved to death. So you were pretty much reliant on um, people bringing you cake or bread or whatever, hopefully with a file baked into it. No, I'm just kidding. But um, they would bring you things, and uh, this is how they would uh, sustain themselves. And so he was commanded that he was to uh, be able to have his friends come and all those kinds of things. Now, verse 24, it says, Now after some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him concerning faith in Christ. Now, this is amazing here. Now, Drusla, his third wife, (laughs) Felix's third wife, um, was the daughter of, of Herod, the Herod who killed James, the Herod who imprisoned Peter, the Herod that was eaten with worms when they said, this is not the voice of a man, this is the voice of a God, and everybody was applauding as he came out in his, in his um, fancy duds, and God smote him with worms and he died. The worms crawl in, the worms crawl out. But he didn't have to wait till he died for to be able to sing that song. Uh, God smote him with worms. Pretty, pretty gruesome way to die. Oh, oh, that's kind of scary, isn't it? You know, honey, I think I got indigestion. No, it's something moving. You know, I don't know. So, one him come down. Talk about his faith in Christ. Amazing. I think this is pretty astounding, actually. Notice it says, after some days, this something was probably he was wondering about. Now, he reasoned, Paul did, about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. If you like to underline things in your Bible, those three things are things you underline. Let's look at it again. So when Paul came to Felix, he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. Really, the things that Felix needed to hear. In fact, everybody needs to hear. Righteousness. What's righteous? People will look at a car and a car show and go, Hey, that's righteous! No, not really. Maybe shined up. Not righteous. What makes a person righteous? What makes you right before God? What does that? And this is the message that we as Christians have. Because our righteousness is not found in ourselves, it's found in Christ Jesus. And because it's found in Christ Jesus, then I am then free to make right any wrongs that have been done. Because it's no longer I that live, Paul says, but Christ that lives within me. So, first thing, righteous. Where does it come from? Think about it. Second thing, self-control. What is lacking in our society today? Self-control. They're out of control. Yeah. Why is that? Because unbridled conduct always follows unrighteousness. Because when you don't have any thought 
of your lifestyle, you don't have any thought of what's right or wrong, then that breeds out of control. By the way, these are progressive, and he addresses them progressively. Righteousness, self-control, and then where does the self-control, or lack of self-control come from? Judgment. Okay? And so look what he says. Righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. Felix was afraid and answered, Go away! For now. And when I have a convenient time, I'll call for you. What does the Bible say? Today is the appointed day of salvation. Tomorrow is not promised to anybody. Respond, the Bible says, well, you can hear his voice. And the harden not your heart as the children of Israel did in the days of provocation. You see, what, what happens is that there's a time in which the gospel makes sense. There's a time in which God deals with us, even as, as, as his own, as Christians. He'll say, now, honey, you need to get this right in your life right now, and you need to make this, because if you don't, it's going to get worse. And we can say, oh, God, I ain't going to do that. Go away! Come back at a more convenient time. And then the problem gets out of control. And we look back in retrospect, and oh, if I'd only responded when God said to do what he said to do, I wouldn't be in the mess that I'm in. So it isn't just for worldly people that God speaks. It's for his own children as well. And so he says, go away. He said he was afraid. Isn't that something? Here's this governor, most powerful, and he's afraid of little old Paul and the message that he brings. Well, it isn't little old Paul. It's the God behind every one of us. The God behind Paul that Felix was scared of. Verse 26, well, meanwhile, he had hoped that money would be given him by Paul, which shows that Felix was corrupt. In other words, bribe, sounds like somebody in our Senate. Um, But anyway, meanwhile, he had hoped that money would be given him by Paul, that he might release him. Therefore, he sent for him more often and conversed with him. Wow, now that's something, isn't it? So, Paul, because he was the only one that was there. He's the only one that could have recorded this for us. He had to tell somebody what was going on. Paul said, Felix had me come in thinking that I was interested in hearing the gospel, but really what he wanted was a payoff. Dating people, be careful. Oh, you know, Susie Q, come over and tell me about Jesus. Okay. And you think they're really into hearing about the Lord, but what they really are is they're into getting into you. And we think because there's a repeat of them coming back and coming back that their motive might be right. Paul evidently realized why he was being brought back often And it wasn't just to converse with him. He was looking for a payoff. What I'm saying is this. Everybody's motives aren't always pure. Sometimes what people do is for the wrong reason. And Felix bringing him back. He See, there's nothing that lights an evangelist up more than an audience or someone to talk to. Amen? Felix knew that. And so Felix then capitalizes on it to bring him in, to talk to him, and who knows what the conversation was like. Well, you know, if you can help me out a little bit here, Paul, maybe I can let you go, you know. Paul saw through it. Otherwise, we wouldn't read these words here. Notice again, that he might receive money would be given him by Paul, that he might release him. Therefore, he sent for him more often 
and conversed with him. After two years, Procorius, Festus, succeeded Felix, and Felix, wanting to do the Jews a favor, left Paul bound. Now, after two years, a Roman citizen that had not been tried had to be let go. In other words, this is where in our own jurisprudence we get the uh, mentality or understanding of a, of, of, of a speedy trial. In fact, it's part of our of our, our constitution, you might say, a right to a speedy trial. Why? Because in England, they would drag court cases out for years and years and years and years like what's kind of happening now in our own country. And by then, nobody cares anymore. By then, justice slides under the rug. By then, and so all these different issues happen. So the Romans knew this as well. So within two years, if you weren't brought and you weren't, uh, as a Roman citizen, if you weren't convicted of the crime, you were required to be let go. But Felix didn't do that. Why? Because he was corrupt. You, you see, this is why I believe initially Felix feared the message that Paul preached. Again, of righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. Why was that? Because he knew he was guilty. And so when another governor was now going to replace him, wanting to do the Jews a favor, which, by the way, is distorting justice, he left Paul bound. So in this verse, we find a couple things. First, two years, he should have been let go. That's the first one. Second, it tells us, he wanted to do the Jews a favor. He left Paul bound. He perverted justice. And the third, of course, he was repeatedly trying to get a bribe. So crooked politicians, friends, is not something that we invented. They've been around a long time. Because absolute power corrupts absolutely. And there's three motives in anybody in control. Get in power, stay in power, and increase the power. That's how they work. So we see here that Paul now unwavered by their corruption. In other words, Paul didn't become corrupt to work within a corrupt system. Now, when Paul says, I become all things to all men that I may win some, that doesn't mean that he allowed the dirty world to affect his clean heart. We've talked about this before. That might mean that you might have to go where people that are down and out are to share the gospel with them. But that doesn't mean you become a meth addict to minister to meth addicts. When we understand that Jesus became one of us to minister to us, to set us free, that then gives me an understanding of God's great love for us. And that building the bridge or spanning the gap between God's holiness and our unrighteousness is only done with the cross. And so tonight, a lot of lessons to be learned about human nature, understanding that truth will prevail. And this is why Paul could represent himself. He knew he had the truth on his side. As we know, truth oftentimes, though, doesn't win in court. But that didn't stop Paul from doing what he knew God had called him to do. Let's pray. Father, tonight, thank you for your word. We ask you, God, that your Holy Spirit will continue to guide our thoughts. Help us remember these things. Help us to beware of flattery and let us have a message of righteousness and self-control and the judgment to come. And so, God, we ask you that your Holy Spirit would keep our hearts held in your hand in Jesus' name.
Amen. Thanks for joining us on It's Time as Pastor Mike teaches verse by verse through the Bible. If you've missed a program or would like to catch up, you can do so by getting it from the It's Time podcast in the iTunes store or by downloading it from the It's Time website at theriverchristianfellowship.com. On behalf of Pastor Mike and the rest of us here at the River Christian Fellowship, thanks for listening. And tune in next time for It's Time.